0: Hi, everyone.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Today, we have Dr. Richard Veach, who is a National Institute of Health scientist for over 45 years. He is both a research biochemist, PhD, and a medical doctor. And basically, Dr. Veach invented a way to bottle ketone fuel in a fat-free, salt-free, FDA-approved, concentrated food. And we're going to be talking to him a little bit about that today and also about all of his research on ketosis. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So I wanted to, uh, for our listeners who, most of which know what ketosis is, can you go ahead and give us a little snapshot of explaining ketosis, what ketones are, and how they're used by the body?
0: Well, ketosis is a natural state that uh, humans enter into when they're fasting. So it allowed them to uh, go hunt mammoths and things uh, and, and still keep their brain alive. So the human is the only animal That gets ketosis. And he does this because he has such a huge brain. So you can live, if you're normal weight, you can live for about 75 days without eating anything. And you do that by turning your fat tissue into ketone bodies, which are excellent fuel. So there's nothing harmful about it. Uh, Doctors tend to uh, be frightened of ketosis because there is a certain medical condition that you get in type 1 diabetes called. Diabetic ketoacidosis, but that has anything to do with physiologic ketosis. Ketosis is just elevation of normal ketone bodies, which are beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate, and they go up in starvation to about five to seven millimeters. And this was work done by George Cahill in the '60s.
1: Yeah. What um? What tell us what makes ketones different than glucose? Why would we? I mean, I we know in the paleoprimal community that being a fat burner versus a sugar burner is more ideal and not being carbohydrate dependent. But what makes ketones different from glucose in the way that they fuel us?
0: Well, when you're, when you're burning glucose, you run it down a pathway called glycolysis and you make pyruvate. And we've done a study which shows that if you're burning pyruvate, in your mitochondria, all these things are burning your mitochondria because you take the products of glycolysis, you take ketone bodies, you burn them in the mitochondria. And you get about 28% more energy when you're burning beta-hydroxybutyrate than when you're burning pyruvate. So So are you
1: saying that mitochondria, more mitochondria is formed and the mitochondrial activity is increased on a fat burning situation versus the glucose burning situation?
0: Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. So when when you're burning ketone bodies, you get 28% more energy from the amount of oxygen you consume than you do if you're burning pyruvate.
1: So you're producing more energy in the body because mitochondrial, as I understand it, mitochondria is sort of responsible. It is sort of what I consider to be sort of like energy, uh, little factories in the body. So basically, if I'm trying to create energy in a variety of ways, whether it's burning fat, Etc. Going on the glucose route is going to inhibit mitochondrial function. Correct?
0: No, it's not going to inhibit. It's just going to get you less energy. Uh, in other words, in a number of disease states, or where, where you're injured, or then then the pathway into the mitochondria goes through an enzyme called pyruvate dehydrogenase, and that often gets blocked. And so, with ketones, you can bypass that blockade of the enzyme. So if you're hurt or have a fever or whatever, you can still bypass that and produce more energy. All the, the major form of the energy that the body produces is all done in the mitochondria.
1: Now, ketones and ketosis and low carb, high fat has been such, you know, so prevalent in the community, you know, in the past few years, especially with the, you know, popularity of paleoprimal low-carb diets what got you started researching ketones in the first place back in the 60s and what was the prevailing opinion then because the 60s was a while ago and you know we're now just it's really exploding i mean i know the atkins diet revolution really sort of kind of started us on that trend years ago but now it's really at the forefront people are talking about it all the time i was just listening to a Joe Rogan podcast. He's a very popular podcaster and uh, announcer of MMA fighting. And he was talking about how he's been in ketosis for 18 days. You know, it's just really out there. And, and we're talking about it a lot. So tell me about the 60s and what got you into it and
0: what the opinions were then. Well, in the 60s, uh, George Cahill, who's a professor of medicine at Harvard, showed for the first time that the brain could use some fuel other than glucose. And he showed it could use ketones. He really didn't do much about that. Uh, It was kind of a curiosity, but uh, he's the first man to show that. In the 80s, I decided that we didn't know what happened when ketones were metabolized, so I thought that's a very good subject to do. And so I just started working on what happens when the cell burns ketones versus burning glucose. And that led to a number of things It led to the, I I pointed out that these studies were done just for pure scientific interest. But later on they became became important for things like DARPA, where they wanted to increase the energy of their war fighters and it went from there. Now there were also things that that interested in me where the use of ketones in certain neurologic diseases where there's no known cure like Alzheimer's disease, where you could bypass the block in Alzheimer's disease by letting them burn ketones. So There's a number of medical uses that make these important.
1: Let's go ahead and then I want to skip then. We'll come back to, we're going to be all over the place here, but tell us then about Mary Newport. She's the author of Alzheimer's, What If There Was a Cure? And how your formula that you created helped her husband who had Alzheimer's. It's a really great story. And since you mentioned the neurological aspects, and I've even heard Dr. Perlmutter say that, you know, Essentially, Alzheimer's is sort of like a type 3 diabetes. And um, I have a friend whose father has Alzheimer's. We did a lot of research. It talks extensively about uh, getting into ketosis. So I'd love to have you touch on that.
0: Well, I agree entirely with Dr. Perlmutter. Alzheimer's disease is type 3 diabetes. It means that even before you start accumulating all these abnormal products like amyloid and tau, your brain, is impaired in using glucose. So that's the same thing as happens in diabetes. And Dr. Newport contacted me, her husband had had Alzheimer's for about 16 years and really quite severely. And she had been feeding him various fatty acids and uh, and she, she got some response, but the levels that you get with feeding fatty acids are, are quite low, maybe 0.2, 0.3 millimolar. Now the, Amount that you need to get into the brain, thing called the KM, is five millimolar. So he, she was ten times below the level of maximum entry. So we started giving her husband this ketone ester, and she, we did this because she's a doctor, and a doctor can give anything he wants or she wants to the patient, uh, you know, and doesn't as long as it's not sold. Or advertise or something, the FDA has no jurisdiction over that. So she could treat her own husband in any way she wanted. And he did pretty well for five years uh, on essentially having ketoester three times a day. The disease did, however, progress, and he died maybe oh, two or three months ago.
1: But she said that your product really, like, turned the lights back on in her husband. And that yes. was very different from just the coconut oil and some of the other things that she was doing.
0: Yes, that's, that's right. He really couldn't live. He could mow the grass and could talk. and But, you know, I can't say that we totally, well, I can't say we totally arrested the progress of the disease. He was on this for about maybe four or five years. And we certainly slowed it down. Now, it's also true But we we didn't we we had to make all the ketones ourselves, and we sometimes ran them a little short. We didn't give him as much as we should have given him because they're all made by one man, Todd King, who works for me, and (laughs) uh, we couldn't make as much as we needed to make. And uh, so, how much of the deterioration was due to uh, insufficient supply? I don't know. That it'll require a long-term study of multiple patients, so uh, we just didn't have enough. We, we could make enough to do one patient, and that's it, and we really wanted 20 or 30 patients followed uh, for an extensive period of time. We simply didn't have the facility to do that, so you know, Dr. Newport was very important she's a she's a neonatologist, so she knows what she's doing.
1: right. when I looked you up online and if you go to the National Institute of Health website, it says you're a senior investigator for the laboratory of metabolic control. And I know we need a lot of metabolic control in this country. Every single advertisement is for a diabetes medication. They're back to back all over the TV. It's a total disaster. I myself uh, had an elevated hB, you know a one c even though I was living a paleoprimal existence, but I just, had not lowered the carbs enough to reverse an insulin-resistant situation that I got. Um, And and now I am. But let's talk a little bit about, because I know people right away are going to go online and be like, what's this thing that he gave Mary Newport's husband? I want to buy it. I want to drink it. So let's talk about, let's get back, first of all, to, can you talk a little bit about the Krebs cycle? We hear about this a lot. Mark Sisson talks about it a lot. Um, Dr. Hans Krebs was sort of considered, I guess, what the, the father of cellular energy metabolism or, um, and, and you have a lot of work with this that led to your ketone discovery. So can you give our listeners a snapshot of the Krebs cycle and what that means?
0: Yeah, well, the Krebs cycle is the major producer of cellular energy and it was devised by Hans Krebs, who is my teacher at Oxford. And uh, so I worked with him for a considerable period of time, and he was very interested in ketone bodies. Now, actually, the work on ketone bodies and their ability to, to destroy free radicals was suggested straight up by George Cahill, who asked Krebs, what is the redox potential? I know this may puzzle you, the redox potential of the NADP system. So. I worked for a year and found out, I went told Krebs, "Well, this is what I found. He said, this can't be right. I said, well, it is right. <laughs> and so uh, he sat around, he didn't ever get mean. He sat around for a couple of weeks and thought about it. Then he started writing a paper. It was the longest paper I ever wrote. And that paper showed how, how you could control the various redox states, which then in turn control the energy of ATP. So that was a very important set of studies, and that was all done with Dr. Krebs. And that all, all that energy, which is redox energy, comes from his Krebs cycle. That's where it comes from.
1: I heard that you met General Petraeus, and then you came to write a paper about traumatic brain injury as a result. Can you tell us about that relationship and, and what happened there?
0: I wrote a paper discussing how you get traumatic brain injury, how you make the diagnosis, it's sort of like concussion and, and how you treat it. And I, I uh, mailed this to Dr. Petraeus, I mean, Dr. General Petraeus. And by that time, he was head of CIA. So I got a letter, very nice letter back from him. And it was from the CIA and it had a stamp on it that said, love.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting that's unexpected <laughs> yes for the CIA, very unexpected
0: I thought, I thought it was very funny that's great. but uh, I thought he, he was a very smart guy he was a PhD from Princeton
1: and were you suggesting the people who had traumatic brain injuries would get into a state of ketosis or consume ketone esters in order to help heal that injury
0: that's correct yes I said you can diagnose it by measuring the temperature rise in the brain because when you get ketosis, I won't go into it, the mitochondria start putting out heat and don't put out ATP. So the temperature of the brain goes up and you can measure that through the skull. And if you give them ketone bodies, you can re-energize the mitochondria so you could treat it this way.
1: Okay. I'm I'm, going to, as a lay person, I'm going to just ask for clarification here. So here's what my question would be or the confusion I would have. So Assuming the people that got the traumatic brain injuries did not already have, let's say, Alzheimer's or a type 3 diabetes brain issue, um, and maybe they were carbohydrate dependent, but let's say they didn't have any brain mental disorders before the traumatic brain injury are we to see traumatic brain injuries also as a type 3 diabetes? I guess I'm confused as to why this would help that. I understand why it's going to help over here with Alzheimer's. Can you explain, is it the same exact connection? Or do, do you understand my question?
0: Yes. Yeah. They have a block in the same old enzyme pyruvate dehydrogenase. Ah, okay. So when they do that, they can't make energy. And so the brain... Well, the brain then fails and doesn't make energy and accumulates ions in the mitochondria. Now, if you get repeated brain injury, you end up with chronic brain damage, either Alzheimer's as they get in these football players or Parkinson's like Muhammad Ali. And so all the mamas that are out with their little kids playing soccer and they get concussions, they need a better form of diagnosis. You can't just hold up two fingers and say how many or who's president I mean, you need a, you need to either do measure eye movements or you need to measure temperature and then if they have a concussion, you need to restrict them for sports for a considerable time afterwards. The idea that they're going to go back and play uh, within a week is uh, nonsense. Uh, you know, they want to play uh, Well the their brain is injured of
1: course they're thinking poorly. <laughs>
0: Yes, I know. Then they want to send, if you get the second concussion, it's much worse. So we really have to change the way they think about it. You know, especially little boys. Oh, you're a man. You just got deemed. No, you didn't. You hurt your brain. Right. And uh, you don't want to feed them Gatorade and stuff like that. You want to make them ketotic. <laughs> but that's very poorly understood. And besides, it gets contaminated with uh, all sorts of issues about national football league and liability and all that stuff which are not medical issues those are legal issues right and and they have no place in this discussion
1: i agree i want to we're gonna you know bounce around here and there because you you did create an interesting like ketone ester uh scenario that you did give to that woman's husband or she gave to her own husband before i get into why we would take something like that so you know, as a general rule of thumb, when we learn about ketosis, it's, it's, it's usually said, you know, hey, you start off at about 20 carbs per day, and then you kind of gauge it for yourself and you see where you need to be. Um, from all the information and scientific evidence I've read and studied, you know, it, it's, it's been made pretty clear by a lot of the experts that our hunter-gatherer ancestors really probably didn't consume more than 80 grams of carbohydrate per day. Um, so I have a couple of questions here. What do you think it looked like for our hunter-gatherer ancestors.
0: Well, you're exactly right. Oh, okay, so you they, agree. Ate, they, they ate meat and vegetables and acorns and what they could pick up off the ground. There was no McDonald's. They had no donuts. Uh, you know. And they did this because you had to get the next mammoth and you had to run after that thing. And so you had to be really able to fast for 30 days so you could kill the next mammoth. And we now live where you've got a McDonald's in every quarter, you're eating milkshakes and high fructose corn syrup, the women's butt is wider than the carts they're pushing through the uh, Kmart, and they're too fat, they're way too fat. And uh, so if you could get back to the more reasonable diet, we, we were not built, we didn't evolve, with all this machinery to eat all this carbohydrate. We just weren't made that way. We have, you know, four hundred thousand years of evolution that says that. So
1: well and I've also read and and we've we all sort of in the paleo primal community have understand this notion. I'd love to hear if you agree or what you think about it. But you know, I have always been told that we we really don't ever need to eat a carb in our life, but we cannot live without protein and fat. And because of the gluconeogenesis cycle there you know it seems like our hunter-gatherer ancestors let's say they killed a mammoth and maybe they ate that thing for several days and they overate it you know in the perfect human diet by cj hunt the documentary he talks about how you know that really could have been used as sort of a slow release glucose mechanism because they'd be overeating the protein at that point but our bodies really produce a certain amount low amount of glucose uh, each day and we don't really need to consume it and I say that when I say we don't need to meaning it's not necessary for human survival not that we shouldn't um so what do you think about that I mean it seems to me that any human could live a, a great long life on protein and fat they might be missing out on some serious macronutrients with the vegetables but it's it's still something we don't quote technically need do we or do we I mean what do you how do you feel about carbs clearly if you're if you're you know your studies I'm sure you're suggesting people should limit carb consumption?
0: Well, I mean, uh, we have a perfectly good pathway for making glucose. It's called gluconeogenesis. So we can take amino acids. So you eat a lot of protein and you can convert those amino acids into glucose and you can do that to feed the brain, which is what most people do. Now, the problem with having an Atkins or a ketogenic diet is people don't regulate how much protein they really eat. And so you can get, you can, Get a low level of ketosis, like I say, maybe point two, point three, but you get a very elevated free fatty acids, and that can be detrimental to your physical performance and even your mental performance. So the, the natural way to make ketone bodies is to let your fat put out free fatty acids, and then uh, let your muscles burn that, and your liver will convert a certain amount of that to ketones. Well, that's fine and will work, but it can also impair your physical performance. You cannot get maximum energy. If you're trying to win the Olympics, you're not going to get maximum energy by burning fat. Now, you kind know there's a lot of discussion about that.
1: Well, actually, there's been a lot of success recently with ketogenic athletes who are performing way better than they ever have once they took the year to 18 months to get really keto adapted and train that way. And their volume of training went down, of course, too, which is less stress, and they're performing better.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree uh, that you can hear this all over the place, and I, I realize that I'm going against your uh, grain here, but what I'm telling you is you those people cannot do their maximum performance. The maximum vo 2 is never achieved on a high-fat diet, it's just not, and uh, this can be shown. In consuming a ketone ester is really something that's never occurred in nature. There you're converting just pure ketones your free fatty acids actually go down. I don't want to get into the technical aspects of why that's true about the redox states of Q versus NAD. But believe me, that's what happens.
1: So I have a question about, um, let's see. So first of all, have you experienced being a state of ketosis for a substantial period of time? And what was that experience like for you?
0: Sure, because I was giving... Dr. Newport's husband, this ketone ester, I took it myself. I thought it was going to kill anybody. I do see it killed me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it didn't kill me. Uh, you know, I took it for years. Well, did so. you
1: take that first, or did you try to produce your own ketones and then take it? And I guess. No, no, I
0: I never did that. I just took the ester because uh, we got the money from DARPA to improve the performance of their the warfighters. And I knew from Dr. Clark's studies in Oxford, if we tried to get ketosis by starving or by using a high-fat diet, we're not going to get maximum physical performance. She's shown that. And not only that, you can actually get mental dulling. In the studies they did there on the lab members, (laughs) they felt they became stupid. (laughs) I said, well, Oh, you know, they weren't
1: stupid to start with. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's interesting. I actually feel sharp. I feel sharper and smarter when no, I'm no. in ketosis and burning fat than I do when I'm glucose. Uh, what What's the point of making the ketonesers We can do it ourselves through diet. I can. I can produce ketosis. Is it because you want to exacerbate that, fasten the, pro- uh, you know, f- you know, hasten the process, or or what is it about I what want, you create?
0: you to make more ketones. If you have to be up to five millimolar to really get into the brain maximally, and you're, when you're making a ketogenic diet, you might get you know, normally 0.3, 0.4. You're not getting uh, as much as you, as you could get. And furthermore, you're also having a huge amount of free fatty acids. That I don't want, when you eat a keto ester, the free fatty acids go down. They don't go up. Likewise, your cholesterol goes down. So, if you're trying to treat a kid with epilepsy and you're feeding him a high-fat diet, you can't feed that high-fat diet much past the age of 17 because you're worried about high cholesterol and about atherosclerosis. So. Uh, there's a lot of reasons
1: why. Well, I want to challenge you on that because, I mean, you know, when okay. we look at Time Magazine and other places where they eat butter, everything we knew about fat was wrong. I eat a, a ton of fat. And my cholesterol levels were perfect. Often people who go primal paleo or eating a high-fat, moderate-protein, low-carb diet. Their cholesterol levels improve. So I don't equate saturated fat or fat with with unhealthy arteries or heart unless in the presence of a high-carbohydrate diet or some other issue. So I'm just curious why, why you think fat is even a problem there.
0: Well, uh, I can bear you the studies from Johns Hopkins, by Faradovich and also the studies from NIH. It is true that some people can adapt after a long time on a high-fat diet, and their cholesterol is not bad. But it's also true that some people don't, and their cholesterol may be on what acceptable bounds. And, uh, so for the and people
1: that, that might have like a genetic predisposition to high cholesterol and like no matter what they eat or other people who just still have bad numbers, despite how great they're being, those people are the ones that would benefit from taking a ketone ester
0: supplement. Yes. I mean, you know, people are as variable as the cars on the street, They're not all the same. And so, you know, I can, it depends, you know, the devil can quote scripture. I can, I can give you a paper that'll say, cholesterol goes up, and, uh, and I'm sure you can get people to say that cholesterol went down. Uh, and so I think most people would agree that you don't want a high cholesterol in your blood if you can help. It.
1: Tell us about all of the metabolic conditions that, you know, are benefiting from ketosis other than Alzheimer's. And other than type 2 diabetes, uh, you know, and insulin resistance, are, what else is there in this spectrum? Uh, epilepsy is one you mentioned. Is there anything else I'm leaving out that, you know, because it seems like, you know, this can solve so many problems and treat well, so many conditions, and it sounds hard to believe, but, but it, it
0: clearly, yeah. you know, is true. Well, um. uh, yes, that's one of the problems. This looks like you're selling snake oil, Dr. Dr. Wizard's. All. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that's one of the risks <laughs> I've had people, officials, that uh, you see San Francisco say, you can't do that. <laughs> well, it's because you're affecting a central metabolic pathway. You have multiple things you can affect. For instance, there are just papers now out on heart failure how you could treat heart failure in the same way you treat brain failure. I talked to another woman yesterday at Harvard who's treating her thyrotoxicosis. Uh, because that's a disease with inflammation. So you decrease inflammation. So there's a number of diseases, and I've written about some of the diseases like amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and there are too many to go into where you could have benefits. But the major ones are obesity, because you could decrease their appetite, their ketotic, and type 2 diabetes, and even type 1 diabetes, and the neurological diseases. So there's a number of diseases which could benefit from this. And our problem is to get the amount of production, given all the number of patients that need this, we we need a very large amount of production.
1: Right, because it's very expensive to produce. I mean, if we were to equate it now, it might be like $60 a bottle, I think, with... You know talking with your team you know if, if if research goes the way it should and funding you know you can get it down to 20 a bottle what do you think about the safety and efficacy of the current ketone supplements out there known as like ketone salts on the market today because i hear a lot of people talking about that and that's not the same as what you've created correct and can you describe the
0: difference and, and talk about that well anytime you think those things are good hold your hands up in front of your face and see if you can tell your right hand from your left hand. And if you can, there's a difference with what you're feeding. The body only uses one hand. And when you try to mix the it two because it's cheaper, you impair their action. And all the stuff you're buying has either got way too much salt or it's made of what they call racemic mixtures. And a racemic mixture is the sort of thing that gave you thalidomide. <laughs> you know, oh Uh, or your arms turn out and look like flippers. So you really can't fool the body, you have to give it its normal racemic counterpart, which in the case of ketone bodies is the D form. And, And so everything that I know that you can buy doesn't do that. And they do it really for manufacturing convenience and for price. And, so it's uh, a little
1: bit of a snake oil, probably at the end of the day, just giving me too much salt and not worth it and not going to increase well, my ketone
0: levels. Not only is it too much salt, but it's giving you a racemic mixture, which impair the bad rac- racemate, impairs the, the good effects of the proper racemic form. So you, you can't do that. If you take the racemic mixture, you don't get the effects on the mitochondrial redox state that you did if you took just the proper racemic form. And this has been known since the time of Albert Leninger. Uh, so,
1: so, other than,
0: that, go ahead. Well, there, and there's none of these things that are being marketed that have had toxicity studies. You know, they sell them, they quote the toxicity studies that we did with DARPA on our proper Make sure But I don't know of any of them that have actually done toxicity studies and submitted to the FDA. Uh, you know, and, and as for salt helping, you know, sure. When you have when you're ketotic, you need a certain amount of salt. But the proper salt would be something like potassium citrate. You can induce in ketosis, for instance, a person like you can induce gout. You can prevent the excretion of uric acid. So you really want to, if we were treating an epileptic child, we give him potassium citrate to give him, to let him get rid of some of the excess uric acid.
1: Why not, that, why not Celtic sea salt or natural salt of some kind?
0: Well, it, it would be all right, except uh, potassium citrate doesn't have effects on high, on high blood pressure. And, 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 and the, the sodium salts tend to be avoided because of their hypertensive effects.
1: So, I mean, every, anyone can look online and, and see what it takes to get into ketosis. And, and you know, usually sure. usually it's really limiting carbs down to 20 and then you know it just this is a baseline and then you know probably staying within your your own personal realm of protein consumption which can be overeaten that was a problem i came across at one point and um you know there's things online everyone can do and put in their age and their weight and body fat percentage and you know it'll kind of give you a readout of, of what it looks like but other than your ketone ester that you created what can people do to raise their ketone levels? Because MCT oil is really considered the go-to for that. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are about that and what else someone can do who's trying to get into ketosis and reverse some insulin resistance. What are some other things that they can, you know, some pointers, whether that's, I mean, you know, they always say have a little extra salt or, or even potassium. What what, what are some other tricks and tips?
0: Well, first of all, you can just quit eating, or Inch. Just that'll not eat at all. Just
1: eat, just drink water. Yeah, for three days. right. Yeah, right. Okay.
0: That'll, that'll get you ketotic. <laughs> and it, at MCTs, well, that's the way God decided to do it. That's, you know, if you fast for five days, you're going to get ketotic. You're going to get five millimolar ketones. That's the normal reaction. Now, MCTs uh, do 10% of them are converted to ketone bodies, about 90% of them are metabolized directly in the mitochondria. And that I must get technical, that reduces your coenzyme Q, and I don't want that, you want to increase the redox span between NADH and coenzyme Q, because that's what gives you the increased energy of ATP. So.
1: Well, well, what if you take co- coenzyme Q ten? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, what? I guess I'm confused. Clarify a little bit further here. So, MCT oil—you're saying part of it or some of it can block some coenzyme Q ten absorption or
0: production, or? Oh no, no, you cannot change the redox state of a of a cofactor like Q by eating a lot of Q. Now I know that people sell it and people make lots of money, but that's like Linus Pauling prescribing hundred grams of ascorbic acid to give you good health. Well, uh, other people who are <laughs> better biochemists said, please quit writing about that which you do not understand. And you can't change a redox state by feeding Q. All you're doing is increasing the Q pool. So you can only do that by changing the metabolites and going to Q. This is getting far too technical, but uh, that's the truth of it. So. Eating Q isn't going to going to change the redox state of Q. It's just going to increase the Q pool, and that's not what you want to do. You want to change the redox potential between NAD, which is the beginning redox carrier, and Q, which is the second one, and that's what gives you the energy.
1: So, how do you find that perfect balance? What throws it off, and then how do I keep you know well, trying to maintain that? What are the tricks there involved with that?
0: Well, <laughs> uh, uh, first of all, if you're feeling well and you, you're measuring your glucose and you're measuring your ketones with, uh, with these sticks, that blood sticks, Adam makes one and there are other cheaper ones, that, uh, but the urine strips don't work. Uh, you have to do it with the blood, and if that's fine, you're feeling fine, your cholesterol's fine, you don't need to worry at all. Don't listen to me, just go ahead and <laughs> have a good time. But if you really want to know, or if you're really trying to win the Olympics, then you better have come and have a talk.
1: <laughs> okay, so so MCT oil can help with ketone production. Are there any downsides to it? You say sometimes that it might be a better success, right, to take them sort of fasting on their own instead of alongside food, or is, is that uh, not,
0: not an issue? Really, to get good ketosis, you need to fast. And, and I'm not a big exponent of MCTs for the, for the reasons I just told you. Only 10% of them go to ketones. The rest go direct to baby oxidation. You just metabolize the fat right in the mitochondria. And I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that. But it's fine. I mean, as I say, unless you're trying to win the Olympics or the Tour de France, you don't need to worry about it.
1: So the best idea is to really, you're saying maybe is to really limit just food intake overall throughout the ketosis process yes uh, so you would be talking about reducing calories significantly you know so someone who might be eating you know eggs here and then something at lunch and maybe they're eating the high fat extremely low carb moderate protein but you're saying that fasting is really the best way and while i might not starve myself for 20 days to to achieve what i want to achieve you're saying to still really limit you know, overall just food consumption in general throughout the day to kind of put your body in a state of starvation?
0: Yeah, you know, or if you're trying to get ketotic, then overnight you might want to not eat anything. Now, if, if for instance, you're trying to treat Parkinson's disease, not Alzheimer's, you can get by with very low levels, maybe 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3 millimolar, and you completely eliminate The tremors and those sorts of things. But now when you're trying to treat a different disease like Alzheimer's, you can't get away with that low level. You have to push them way up to starvation levels. So it really depends on what you're doing. And, and, uh, you know, as long as you're healthy and aren't having the shakes or aren't forgetting where you parked your car, you don't need to worry about
1: it. Well, what do you think about, I mean, obviously you are aware of sort of what our hunter gathered ancestors and, you know, sort of what they ate and the carb consumption. So, I mean, what are your thoughts about the whole paleo primal ancestral health revolution right now? You must be quite happy about the evolution of this.
0: I I am. I I think it's fine. I mean, (laughs) if if we didn't drink all the Cokes and all that stuff, it would have a lot healthier world. And, All you're doing with the so-called paleo diet, aside from the big words, is you're just conforming to the evolutionary development that we went through. Look, you don't change human evolution in 100 years. The fact that you now have McDonald's doesn't mean you have to go push it in your face. Uh, yeah. You know, thank, no.
1: Thank you for saying that because that's well, and that's really the title of the Primal Blueprint is that you know we're all given a, a basic set of you know DNA circumstances and and we're going against them and that's why everyone's got type two diabetes and people are fat at the Kmart like you said. So yeah, yeah. That's,
0: that's right. That's right. I mean, you're not. Uh, you know, uh, there's nothing genius about it. I mean, just be reasonable. Uh, you know, and do what your grandmother did. <laughs>
1: so how do i mean we can't go back and interview hunter gatherers and say hey how long were you in ketosis how long did you guys starve i mean we know that like you said they could have lived up to a certain level of days without any food because they were running on ketones but i guess i would kind of want you to talk a little bit about how long do you think people should be in ketosis is this something we should go in and out of it you know what about people who are long-term ketogenic diets and are doing great is that safe Is that something you would suggest or, you know, what's your thoughts on that?
0: Well, the person that did the most on this was George Cahill. And he actually took students at Harvard and and just fasted them for 30 days. And he took airline pilots that had to lose their job if they didn't get their weight down. They were perfectly fine by just fasting them for 30 days. It's an unpleasant subject, but if you're a normal weight person, you can fast, for about 78 days. After that, you die. Uh, this was shown by the people that killed themselves in the Irish Republican Army. People. Yes, there Star- was a
1: whole movie about that, right? They did the um, the protest, the hunger protest, right? And they only drank water?
0: That's right. Well, they lived almost universally 78 plus or minus 5 days. Interesting. Now, that's never been written up because it's so politically sensitive. But from a medical point of view, it was very important. They actually got excellent care. The British gave excellent care. Now, in this country, you wouldn't allow that. If you get some guy starving himself to death, he'd get a nasogastric tube down there in about the first five minutes. Right. And, maybe uh, maybe know, even
1: filled with McDonald's. Uh. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Whatever. You know, we wouldn't allow that. But the Brits are, you know, that's, that's the way they do it. And uh, so we know, we don't now if you're fat, you can starve for a year. I
1: mean, <laughs> right. You're saying that person would last more than 78 days possibly because they're living off of their own fat, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, uh Nor- the Irish Republican army people were in general, uh, weight people and they lasted about 78 plus or minus five days. At the end of their life, they went blind and they couldn't breathe. They actually ate their diaphragm, So it was a horrible death and, uh, and not very pleasant. And, uh, But that's, those are the facts and it's never been uh, written up because it, you know, it smacks of Dachau or something, but uh, uh, it's nevertheless, I know what happened, so did Dr. Cahill. So you can fast easily for 30 days. Well, you shouldn't do that without some doctor sitting around watching you, you know, not something for somebody to do on their own.
1: Right, right. So... For most people, what do you think? I mean, if you're um if you're healthy weight and you're doing well and your blood glucose levels are good and there's no insulin resistance issues, we do you say ketogenic every now and then? I mean, do you, are, are you anti full on ketogenic for most people, or do you feel no. it's occasional, or do you just kind of like whatever works for that person or what's your view? Yes, thing?
0: absolutely. And 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 it isn't a question of insulin, you actually can treat insulin resistance with ketosis. That's the the major thing you're treating. So the fact that, let's say you're potentially diabetic, or let's say you're even type 1, you can actually have a benefit from ketosis. So you needn't be afraid of ketosis. The problem is that you really have to know a fair bit. And if you have any questions, you need to go see a competent internist, that knows something about nutrition. Now that's not terribly widespread. Yeah, that's not the
1: easiest thing to do, but it's possible, yeah.
0: Yeah, but nevertheless, it's not something that you should do willy-nilly. I agree because,
1: you know, when I tried it willy-nilly at some point, you know what most people think is that you just eat a ton of protein and fat, and so then you end up eating a bunch of that. You overeat both, uh, yes. and then actually, you know, you can get fat on a very low carb diet by eating way more fat than you're burning, etc. And so it takes some fine tuning and a lot of reading to really look at, uh, you know, what levels are right for you. I'm a small woman who's five two and somewhat petite. I I I can't eat 150 grams of protein every day even though my stomach and eyes and brain want it and could and I have been you know known to do that sometimes I really needed to look at that and dial that back because it was one of the mistakes I was making by just overeating protein. So I agree with you. It's not something you just jump into willy nilly and go get some ketone urine strips at the CBS and then... No, no, yeah. no. Yeah.
0: No urine strips. Don't use right. urine
1: we, we know they are not uh, accurate and you've got to do uh, no, the blood.
0: You, you must do the blood stuff. And I would encourage anyone trying to do this to take their own blood and keep a record. Tell yourself, what is your blood glucose and what is your... Ketone body level. Now, on those strips, you're only measuring beta-hydroxybutyrate, but that's the major one. You're not measuring acetoacetate, and you can forget acetone. There's very little acetone around, and so you need to worry about it because you can get these strips. I, I'm not advertising for a company, but a major drug company makes them, and then there's another cheaper version made. So you look around and mm-hmm. and, and stick your finger at least once a week or so. Tell me what you're doing. Your blood glucose will go down it's not harmful you know like i say kale's theological students went down to one they had a blood glucose of one now normally a blood glucose of two you have an epileptic fit but if your ketones are five you get along fine
1: right right it's a yeah it's it's, it's a different value when in the presence of another value it's not something Absolutely. to be evaluated on its own right so let's talk about i mean we we hear we talk about this a lot we know we know the diet's effects, you know, the blood glucose levels dropping up and down are hazardous to the adrenal glands. And so I really want you to talk about diet and how it affects our adrenal glands and the issues around elevated levels of cortisol. I myself have had elevated levels of cortisol before and also uh, up and down insufficient levels. I had adrenal, uh, pretty much adrenal fatigue for a while. I was extremely hypothyroid and undiagnosed for many years. And so I went through a lot of adrenal issues. And, and I can, I've seen the effects of high cortisol with regards to back in that time. I mean, the fat around my waist just kept out of control, no matter what I did. And that was, you know, a a telltale sign too. Um, But can you touch on that and what, what your thoughts are about diet and the adrenals and cortisol?
0: Well, uh, I frankly think that's just too complex a subject to discuss uh, in in this forum. I mean, sure. uh, the interrelationship between diet and adrenal function is, is very complex, and uh, I wouldn't want to give off the top of my head. And now, truncal obesity, which you were discussing, the fact that you got a big top belly, that is something that is related to uh, adrenal function and whatnot, and so is thyroid uh, function. But again, that needs to be discussed individually. I, I said, I talked to this woman. From harvard yesterday and she's treating her graves disease mm-hmm. with a ketogenic diet because graves disease is an, a, a kind of autoimmune and so when you yes and so when you cut down the inflammation you cure the graves disease and well, are but, you saying uh,
1: that ketogenic diet is a state of is an anti-inflammatory diet as well is that how we should look at it
0: absolutely
1: that's really really good to know for everyone out there who might have some undiscovered inflammation what happens next with this? I mean, you've created this, you know, drinkable form of ketones that we can't go and buy right now, um, but, you know, uh, could also just forget people who want to go out and buy it if they could to drop a bunch of weight. This is a miraculous thing with regards to mental disorders. And like we talked about, you know, traumatic brain injury. What's what's the next step? Like what's out there for you You're doing all this research? It's so wonderful. You've been at the forefront of this forever. What happens from here? You know, how how do we get this out there into the well, community and, and usable for people that have Alzheimer's and, you know, other issues?
0: Well, uh, you're now talking about a commercial. This can't be done by a bunch of baggy pants biochemists at NIH. This has to be done by industrial production. Right. And for this, you need people like Frank and other people, because you're then getting into business and the, the whole... Operation there is quite uh, different, and it's way outside of my field of, uh, of competence. We need to get it made by huge producers that uh, can make it cheaply. Because if there are five million Alzheimer's in this country and they need this stuff, then you've got to get the price down. You're going to back, back, back bankrupt the government. So you need to depend on people like Frank Losa, who knows about. I'm, uh, I'm rather crotchety and I am not the person uh, person to deal with business.
1: Right, right. But I see what you're saying. I, I was just looking at a theoretical perspective of what was needed that you answered it. You know, you need some sort of big company producers, large scale production and a lot of money in order to be able to even have this available to the public.
0: Yes, that's right. I mean, you need control studies you need to do. You can't do just Mary Newport's so husband. You need to do twenty or thirty or forty people with Alzheimer's, and then see what happens. And that requires large amounts of production. And frankly, so far, industrial producers have been derelict in their responsibility, and uh, it needs uh, encouragement from the government to encourage this.
1: <laughs> well, you've you've spent so many years and so much time in in this area of ketones and obviously a huge achievement to get to the point where you've created you know this ketone ester what's next for you as a researcher i mean do you stay in this arena because there's more to do is there something new and different you're you're getting into or are you just staying within this ketone area of research
0: sure there's a lot more to do and we've got a lot of studies to make and and uh, we want to be sure that we're getting something that's safe and we want to also get something that's affordable. You know, because at the end of the day, the government's got to have to pay for this. <laughs> and, uh, so, yes, we still have plenty to do.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with or any thoughts on ketosis or ketones or, or paleoprimal? Any
0: perspectives you
1: want to throw out there?
0: Um, not, not really. I think they're on the right track. I think you need to, you need to do, if you going to do it, you need to do it in an informed way. It's not something to just start off on a whim, You need to measure your blood levels and you really need some degree of medical supervision. Right. And the stuff that's being sold out there now, just avoid it. It can be dangerous.
1: Right, right. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much for all of your work. And I, I love that it's coming to light. Even if it's many years later, you're so at the forefront of what everyone's talking about in health. And we just really appreciate your time and your work. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you for your interest. Are you someone who appreciates a fast, casual dining experience? Is it important that the taste of your food and the freshness of the ingredients take center stage? Well, bringing that experience to a table near you is the mission of the hottest new franchise concept in North America, Primal Kitchen Restaurants. If you want to learn more about this one-of-a-kind franchising opportunity, go to PrimalKitchenRestaurants.com. That's PrimalKitchenRestaurants.com.